Alright, welcome back everyone to Didactic Mind, episode 60. Up to 60 now, believe it or not. Didactic Mind, episode 60, The Eye of the Storm. A very warm welcome as always to all of my long-time uh, listeners, all of my long-time readers, all of my Podbean subscribers, I think I'm up to four now, uh, as opposed to SoundCloud, where I think I was up to 12, uh, <laughs> something like that. Um, I am not known for my ability to attract strong followings, at least by way of subscriber counts on these various uh, big tech platforms, but that being said, uh, the following that I do have via my site and other avenues is exceptionally loyal, and as we are coming up to the single best day of the year, as we're coming up to Christmas, it's important to acknowledge that loyalty and for me to say thank you, a very heartfelt thank you, to all of you who have tuned in to my podcasts and uh, understood or processed what I have said, who have written in, commented, uh, offered up thoughts, offered up commiserations, suggestions, ideas, topics. All of you who have subscribed to everything that I've done and kind of kept me going for these last... Uh, uh, 12 months or thereabouts, 10 of which have been extraordinarily difficult because of um, the stupid commie pox. Um, it, it has not been easy and for anybody. I mean, I'm not saying that I had a more difficult time than anybody else because I didn't. In all honesty, I mean, uh, I spent uh, the summer in considerable comfort, relatively speaking. It wasn't an easy summer, but uh, it was a lot easier than I thought it would have been otherwise. Um, had I been in the old country at the time, which I wasn't, uh, it, you know, the, the impact of the Kung flu was considerably less or lessened in my case because of that. Uh, I mean, I was in a place where things were a lot less crazy than they got in much of the rest of the world. Um, but, you know, what with Christmas approaching and with the new year just a couple of weeks away, I think it's important for us to kind of take stock of everything that we've been through and everything that is coming at us in the next year. And I think the central theme of this podcast is going to be the fact that there does, or not the fact, the feeling that something is coming, something big is coming at us. I mean, as bad as 2020 was, excuse me, in some ways 2021 is going to be even worse. And um, you have to excuse me if I sound a little off right now. Um, it's not because I'm sick or anything. It's just because uh, we just had a very nice dinner, a very pleasant uh, evening, and uh, a barbecue. And uh, we're sitting around drinking a bottle of wine outside, and you know, it's, it's actually bloody cold for... Uh, this time of year in the old country, it's, um, what is it right now, about 12 degrees Celsius, which doesn't sound very cold, particularly if you're used to Russian winters, which I kind of am. Yeah, it's 14 degrees now. Um, you know, right now in Moscow, it's minus two, and with wind chill, it's probably close to minus eight, um, and it's snowing every single day. I mean, I know that pretty much for sure, um, but here in the old country, at 14 degrees with cold winds in houses where the 
houses themselves are designed to let heat out, not keep it in. <sighs> you know, it tends to get, it tends to get uh, very chilly very quickly. So if you hear a bit of scratching in the background, um, that is almost certainly my microphone rubbing against uh, my jacket. And I'll try to keep that to a minimum if I can. Um, but, you know, the thing is, as, as we come up on these last few days of the year, it's important to take some time to reflect and understand what it is we've been through. And we've been through a hell of a lot. And hell is the right word. This was a, this was the year from hell for a lot of us. And I'm sorry to tell you this bad news, um, but the next year is not going to be any better. Indeed, it's going to be significantly worse in some ways. Why do I say we are in the eye of the storm? Because these next two weeks, or this, this little, yeah, these, these next few days to a couple of weeks, will be time for everybody to just sort of pause, take a deep breath, and analyze what's happened, take stock. Because what's happened has been astonishing and unbelievable. Uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted what we went through this year. I don't think anybody could have foreseen the level of fecklessness, stupidity, incompetence, rank cowardice, and uh, totalitarian um, action taken by governments around the world. And I don't think too many people could have foreseen how quickly most populations bent over backwards and took it. Um, I can't think of too many countries outside of the US where the people rose up and said, we're not going to take this anymore uh, during the worst of the lockdowns. Even in the US and most of the blue states, the there's a very sharp divide between the red staters and the blue staters, obviously. The the red state types, let me just stand up and rearrange my my uh, workspace a little here, because I like to stand when I'm doing these podcasts. Um, it makes it easier to, to get things done and, and, and speak. Uh, many of the red staters have this attitude and ha- have this attitude and have it now that this is not the government's problem to solve. The government can issue guidelines and warnings, but at a certain level, or after a certain point, most of the red state Americans understood very quickly that this was and is a scamdemic, a true scam in the worst sense of the word. Um, Most of red state America quickly recognized that they were being ripped off and lied to about the severity and seriousness of the Kung Flu. And that remains the case to this day. People understand very clearly that the lockdowns have not worked. Uh, they understand very clearly the logical, um, uh, the, the syllogistic uh, basis of the lockdowns. And they understand a very, very straightforward concept, which is that, number one, either, number one, lockdowns are effective at reducing um overall deaths and infections and do succeed in flattening the curve and preventing significant uh, mass deaths, in which case 
why do we need another lockdown? Because if lockdowns succeed, the first one should have succeeded. If lockdowns work, the first one should have worked. So why do we need another lockdown? Or number two, lockdowns are totally ineffective at breaking the back of an infection spike and preventing uh, new infections and more importantly, new deaths associated with COVID. Um, the evidence overwhelmingly points to number two. And we have seen that. I mean, I have gone, I have unpacked the data through a number of podcasts and articles. You can take issue with me for being slipshod in my analysis. Perhaps I am. I, if, if I am, then, you know, fine, prove it. Show me. Show me where I've gotten it wrong. Show me where I missed, uh, some data sets. And don't, don't, don't go to peer-reviewed journal articles because most of those are garbage. Don't go to media reports. Most of those are garbage. Go to actual statistical data on the ground. Go to actual reported numbers on the ground. Don't waste my time with uh, articles and op-ed pieces disguised as objective, quote-unquote, journalism from the never-to-be-sufficiently-cursed hornalists and prostitutes of the traitorous media. These are people I am no, I, I don't, I don't make any bones about this anymore. I don't try to disguise my contempt and hatred for these people anymore. I really am at the point where I think that they should face military tribunals and be tried for treason, uh, with expedited processing of their sentences. And you know what that means. Basically, uh, find as much rope as you need or as many bullets as you need. Really, I'm serious. I mean, I've, I've gotten to the point where these, I really think these people deserve uh, a serious reckoning for what they've done, for the sheer amount of lies and hypocrisy that they've thrown at us. I mean, you can find any number of hilarious um, side-by-side comparisons of headlines. You know, whether it's on uh, the issue of hydroxychloroquine sulfate, um, you will find uh, New York Times and Washington Posts or you know, New York Effing Slimes and Washington Compost articles putting one article in, let's say, February or March saying hydroxychloroquine shows great promise in uh, preventing deaths due to COVID. And then another article a few months later, experts debunk the use of hydroxychloroquine sulfate. Okay, what changed? Nothing much. Nothing really changed. Um, what changed was a couple of studies came out uh, which themselves were deeply flawed in their methodology. And the press seized on those studies as hey, here's proof that Trump is wrong. You know, his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the god-emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, the chaddest of chads, may the Lord bless him and preserve him, he was the one touting hydroxychloroquine sulfate as a miracle drug. Now, turns out he's not the only one. I mean, there are a number of doctors, actual doctors on the ground, quite a few of them, who keep telling us, they, they keep shouting at us, they keep telling us, guys, you don't need to go to some expensive, untested vaccine. You don't need to, um, to, to, to put lives at risk with this disease anymore. We have a treatment. It's called hydroxychloroquine sulfate plus zinc plus uh, azithromycin. Um, and the way it works, apparently, is the zinc allows for very uh, powerful delivery of HCQ into um, the, the the cells themselves, and that HCQ then blocks the ability of um, the spike protein on 
the coronavirus to penetrate the cell, lock into it, and release the RNA package into the cell, which will then uh, cause the, um, the, the cell to manufacture a huge number of copies of that RNA before killing itself. The, the process is called in a process called lysing or lysification, I think it's called. Um, I'm not an expert. I have no expertise in biology, so you know, if I get something wrong, hey, it's my fault. I admit that. I don't. Uh, I, I try not to be uh, an ultra crepidarian, which <laughs> I'll get onto the reason why I, I reference that in a bit. Um, all of this has to do with the overall theme that something big is coming, and I want to explain why. I'm going to start with this issue of the kung flu and, and everything that's kind of happened around it. I'll try to summarize it quickly, and then I'll go on to some of the other topics that have dominated headlines this year. And I'll try to conclude with something basically showing us how it all connects together in a in a in a way that, in all honesty, if you're of a secular bent, you won't understand. And I'm just going to tell you this up front, you know, outright. You're not going to understand it if you look at the world through a secular lens, because this is not something that a secular mind can understand easily. All of this stuff is happening at a spiritual level. It's a, there's a, there, are, there are multiple levels to this world, as I've discovered. There's this physical aspect of it, and then there's the, the spiritual aspect of it. And the physical aspect, you know, we, are, we, we delude ourselves into thinking that as the apex predator, as the most powerful species on the planet, we have the physical realm under complete control. We don't, but we can fool ourselves into thinking that we do to a very great extent. Um, at the spiritual level, we are completely bloody clueless. And there are forces on the move in that realm which we do not and cannot understand. So, when I talk about um, the scandemic, what I'm really referring to is the sense of pervasive, all-consuming fear that has been put upon us. We are all, well, many of us, are terrified at what could happen. We are terrified by this disease when all of the evidence we're seeing points to it being not much worse than an ordinary flu. The evidence we are seeing points to a number of lies that we are told on a daily basis and yet those lies are not exposed. We carry on believing them. And it really, it really comes down to that, that whole idea of um, a lie can uh, make its way uh, seven times around the world uh, before the truth even gets its boots on. And so there are a number of different uh, formulations of this, uh, this, this statement. Uh, one is from Mark Twain. Uh, Samuel Clemens, as we know him, um, you know, he, he used to say, a lie can make it halfway around the world before the truth has time to put, on, to put its boots on. And there are a few other versions of this uh, that, I've, that, I've, that I've heard over the years. Uh, but that's absolutely true. I mean, we are told lie after lie after lie. They're all lies. I mean, we are told that we have a gold standard test to check whether people are infected with COVID. Turns out, um, a, a paper was issued recently attacking the methodology of the original paper which said that the RT-PCR test uh, was effective at determining if someone was infected with COVID or not. That paper, the, the original RT-PCR paper, has now been withdrawn. And you know what? 
just to make a mockery of the entire idea of peer-reviewed science. You know, the whole idea is ridiculous at this point. But that paper uh, should have gone through a peer review process that would have taken several months under you know normal circumstances. Um, it would have taken months for other scientists to tear apart their data and their methodology and their conclusions and see whether or not they were actually doing what they said they did. That paper was approved for publication in a single day. Now, are you seriously telling me that a an accredited panel of scientists was able to analyze everything that these people were saying and turn it around and do a review and give it their imprimatur, their stamp of approval, in a single day? Like, really? Uh, this is not a mathematics paper we're talking about, and even maths papers, I mean, they take a lot of effort to review because maths is, at that level, at the, at the journal level, is extraordinarily difficult. Um, you know, you're seriously telling me that a brand spanking new radical revolutionary technology for analyzing um, whether or not somebody's infected with a disease can be approved in a single day? You can do the peer review in one day? Really? It's garbage. And we know it's garbage, but we were never told this by the media. They just uncritically accepted it and passed off as fact. Um, We have been told, we were initially told, actually, by many of our supposed betters in the media and the medical establishment that we all need to wear masks and practice social distancing. Based on what? There was no evidence for it. The actual scientific literature on masks, as I have pointed out over and over again, shows that masks are ineffective at preventing the spread of flu vaccines. And I got into a lot of trouble for saying this. I mean, I got got into a heated argument with a member of my own family about this. Um, That member of my family refused to listen to me. I just would not tolerate my opinion because he was so convinced that masks are effective because, I mean, he had his background was, like, he started out in it early in his career at actually selling surgical equipment um, to doctors and hospitals. And he said, don't, you know, this what you're saying is ridiculous. If PPE wasn't effective, why would hospitals buy it? I was like, yeah, I'm not denying your experience. I'm telling you, though, that these masks are not effective at preventing the spread of an influenza-like virus, and it's not. The, the, you don't even have to go look up the, the scientific literature on COVID transmission. You can go look it up on influenza transmission, which is much older and much more heavily researched and verified. The data suggests and makes pretty clear, actually, that uh, wearing masks does not alter or significantly reduce the infection rate uh, of influenza. It doesn't really do anything to help. The one trial... The one gold standard, double-blind, randomized trial, uh, randomized controlled trial, maybe not double-blind trial. Um, it definitely wasn't a double-blind trial, in fact. Um, but the one gold standard RCT that we've had came from a Danish uh, research team, and they had to go, they had to revise their paper three times, and they had to put in lots of caveats and wherefores and whereby's, and, and they had to really, you know, twist the language of their paper in order to get it published, because it was, it was rejected by three different science journals. Because apparently it didn't tow the appropriate line. And anybody who thinks that science is in any way apolitical is smoking some really strong weed, because that's ridiculous. The, the idea that science is not politicized is so stupid that anyone who, who believes that needs to get an IQ check. I mean, you're, 
you're probably too stupid to function if you honestly believe that. You're too stupid for polite society at that point. Um, and I make no apologies for saying that. I, I know that's wildly offensive to a lot of people, uh, but I make absolutely no apologies for saying something like that because you honestly seem to believe that scientists are somehow above human corruption and human foibles. Show me the scientist that is above those things. Albert Einstein was a plagiarist. He is considered one of the greatest physicists of all time, rightly so, but he was a notorious plagiarist. And that is well known. That is nothing new. Um, Richard Feynman was an atheist and a well-known womanizer. Uh, I'm not saying he was a bad person, I'm just saying he was well-known as a womanizer. Um, these are people with very real personal foibles and personal failings and we should never assume that scientists are in any way incorruptible because they're not. Um, one of the very few truly incorruptible scientists was Nikolai Tesla. Another one was uh, Marie Curie. Uh, Nikolai Tesla died um, apparently a virgin and uh, was robbed of his life's work by a much less scrupulous Thomas Edison. You know, Tesla was the one who came up with alternating current, which was far superior to direct current. Uh, Marie Curie died uh, due to polonium poisoning from, you know, radiation poisoning from the polonium um, that and and other elements that she was working with to, to research into radiation. You know, th these people, the, the incorruptible scientists tend to not last very long, and the corruptible ones tend to be the ones who get published. So anyway... That Danish paper made it very clear that there was no real statistical benefit from wearing masks. The data that we're seeing piling up from various parts of the US and the UK, excuse me, and much of the rest of the world as well, indicate that there is no statistical benefit from wearing masks. The places which have the highest levels of mask compliance are also the places which have the highest levels of spread of the disease. Um, the social distancing rule, you know, the the six feet or three feet or 4.5 feet depends on where you are and who you're talking to. Um, where I live right now, uh, where I'm staying right now, I should say, you can go into a shop and they'll tell you to stand six feet away from people. You can go down to the clubhouse in the complex that I'm in right now, and the, there's a sign by the gate clearly saying three feet. Which one is it? Which one is correct? Nobody knows. Nobody knows because nobody has a clue, because there is no evidence showing which one is correct. The latest paper that I, um, the latest bit of research that I saw was about, uh, into mask research was, uh, uh tr you know, trumpeted with some fanfare again by the prostitutes. And they said, you know, this, see, look, this, this proves that wearing masks work, uh, works. And essentially what it came down to was, um, they put, uh, the scientists put two dummies with, um, masks on uh, uh, at, at certain distances apart and then they had micron sized particles, so you know, ridiculously tiny particles of um, poly polystyrene or something, and some very very tiny amounts of plastic blown through vigorously through the mouth aperture of one of these dummies uh, at another dummy and then they measured how much of the uh, intake of that uh, recipient dummies um, 
particulate matter was reduced. You know, like how much how much less did that second dummy kind of quote unquote inhale wearing a mask versus not wearing a mask. So the idea was to show how much the viral load would be reduced. And wearing a mask, you know, reduced it by like eighty seven percent. And all the 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 science publications and all the science journalists, you know, hornalists were saying, there you go, see that's proof that wearing masks works. Well they should have read further into the paper because what the paper actually said was the primary determining factor of how much um, the uh, transmission of particulate matter was reduced depended very much on di distance. If if people were standing, if the dummies were very close together, you know, the recipient dummy absorbed a lot of vigorously breathed material. If they were standing three feet apart, then the, the total amount um, absorbed dropped by something over 60%. If they were standing six feet apart, it dropped by something close to 90%. So yes, social distancing works, but nobody can come up with an, uh, with an actual scientifically researched rule for why. And then that paper itself had uh, a very clear problem, which was that the dummy that was doing the, you know, the, was expelling the particles was doing so quite vigorously. How many people do you know who go who stand next to you and vigorously breathe on you. Like, how many people do that in a social context? Pretty much none. Uh, the idea is absurd. The methodology is absurd. It's stupid. And yet, these are the same people that we are told to listen to constantly. You know, the, the, the same prostitutes, the same idiots, the same liars, the same traitors who insist that we must wear masks never bother to do their research. They never bother to do their homework. They beat us over the head with this nonsense, and then they go and ignore it quite happily on their own. They are sanctimonious prigs who are just a virtue signal and pretending as though the rest of us are too stupid to figure out what they're all about. Um, you see this with the governing class all the time. I mean, the last uh, couple of months, you know, you've seen... God only knows how many blue city and blue state mayors, governors, congressmen, and women, whatever, um, giving people all these lectures about how you shouldn't go on holiday, you shouldn't have uh, spend time with friends, you shouldn't go out of your house, you should be locked down at all times, you should not uh, have any fun of any kind. And meanwhile, you know, the mayor of Austin, Texas, uh, is delivering this sermon from his... Uh, from 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 his his timeshare in Cabo, somewhere in Mexico, uh, telling the residents of his city who are suffering terribly um, not to have fun, not to not to be around people, not to have guests over Thanksgiving, and Americans can see this and they're really really angry. They're absolutely infuriated, and they're right to be furious. They're absolutely right to be enraged and outraged. In Britain, it's the same thing. People are losing their jobs, they're losing their businesses, uh, they're going out of their minds with worry and heartache and going crazy over the fact that they may not even be able to feed their families. I mean, suicide rates, alcoholism, um, uh, depression are all skyrocketing in the UK right now. And meanwhile, their ruling overclass have no problems whatsoever with keeping the pubs open, keeping their own gyms open uh, in Westminster and in their own uh, council areas, uh, they do not suffer at all. They have no problems right now. They're, they're, they're enjoying themselves. If you're on a government payroll, 
you're generally doing pretty well because you you can't be fired, not really. Uh, you can't lose your job easily. Uh, the government is printing billions upon billions of dollars of, of, of money, trillions, in fact, in the U.S. Um, you're in a good position. But the ordinary man is suffering horribly right now because of the idiotic decisions made by these people. And for what? A disease that has a 99 plus percent survival rate for most people. If you're over the age of 60 or over the age of 70, really, yeah, okay, fine. You're in danger. If you have certain uh, comorbidities, then yes, you're in danger. But overall, you're going to be okay. What is going on here? Well, the answer is pretty simple. What is going on is a concerted effort to keep you scared and keep you worried and keep you cowed and broken. And I've talked about this many times over the last year. I've talked about how this is a concerted effort on the part of the spiritual forces in, on the move in this world to force you down, to, to maximize collateral damage. And that's what it is. Understand, as we come to Christmas, that for us as Christians, for those of us who are Christian, we've already won. We know we've won. We don't have to worry about winning the war. It's done. It's finished. It ended the day Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, rose from the dead. 2,000 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago now. The gates of hell were smashed down and broken by his resurrection. By the Lord's return. We have no worries whatsoever about whether or not the Lord is going to come back. He is. He's made that very clear. And on that day, all will bend the knee. All will declare with tongue and heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not going to matter what you believe at that point. Um, I'm reading Mere Christianity right now by Clive Staples Lewis. And uh, it's an incredible book. Um, a lot of people would argue that his theology is a bit suspect. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm not going to you know, debate that. I'm, I'm no theologian. I just like his writing style very, very much. And the thing is that it's a very readable book, but it's also very dense. The, it's one of those very, very few books that is incredibly meaty. I mean, you could practically cut the, the words on the page and eat them with a knife and fork. That's how substantive they are. But it's remarkably easy to read. And he's talking about how, in one of the chapters, um, about how Jesus is Lord and how God permits evil in the world. And why doesn't God just land in force? Why doesn't he just wipe out all evil? Well, he's doing it because God holds free will to be so important and so paramount that he will not interfere with it. And that when God lands in our world, it won't be by way of persuasion or uh, by way of trying to convince us the way that he did when Jesus ended up among us. When the Lord finally makes his way into our world again to reclaim our world from corruption and sin. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. 
that's going to be a landing in force, a full-scale invasion. And the book of Revelation makes this really clear. Now, many Christians, particularly Catholics, will argue, that, well, Revelation's already happened. This is all allegorical. It's, uh, it's grandiose metaphorical imagery. It's already happened. Okay, um, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a theologian. But to me, it looks pretty much like Revelation is very much a prediction of the future. And it's, you know, I don't buy what the Catholic Church says, which is one of the reasons why I'm a non-denominational Christian. But there is, the more I look at what's going on around the world right now, the more I am convinced we are in the eye of the storm, the calm before the plunge, the, the deep breath before the plunge, I should say. Quoting Gandalf the, the White from... Uh, from the Return of the King, the film, not the book. Um, I love the book, but uh, I just remember the lines from the film a lot better. Uh, but if you look around you, you know, what do you see? People frightened and broken, governments that have gone completely out of control, corruption on a scale that we've never seen before. I mean, the, the, the U.S. election this year was corrupt at a level that we have never, ever seen in a Western democracy before, uh, or Western Republic. The, what happened on November the 3rd was on the order of what you would expect from a, from an African banana republic, um, where, you know, you see all the votes going for one candidate and then all of a sudden they go entirely the opposite direction in very specific, statistically impossible patterns. There is no doubt, if you look at the data, you actually take a look, you don't bother with what the media tells you, because these people are all, as I keep saying, liars who should be lined up in front of a firing squad at this point. Um, if you actually look at the data, and you look at the, the prevalence of, quote-unquote, mistakes at the county level, where, you know, one county in Michigan had 6,300 votes swinging for Joe Biden when they should have been going for Trump, which was enough to uh, flip that county for Trump and enough to cut Biden's lead in Michigan from like 12,000 votes down to 1,503. And that's before recounts. If you look at the situation in Pennsylvania, where a statistically impossible number of votes suddenly went for Joe Biden, like 600,000 votes went for Biden uh, in the space of a few hours, where the polls and the counting process was shut down for four hours while they suddenly started trucking in, you know, loads more ballots. Well, you have video evidence, you have sworn affidavits, you have statistical analyses, you have voting machines where the software was clearly corrupted, you have attempts to wipe the records of these machines, you have uh, miscounted ballots, you have paper ballots where the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the signatures were, were plainly uh, just misapplied or forged. You have people coming into the voting booths and being told, no, you actually voted already. No, you can't vote again. It's like, what is going on? Well, what's going on, very simply, is the outright corruption of a presidential election. These things happen in very specific states. They happen in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia. Um, these are the states with the most likely prevalence of voting fraud, whereas in other states in previous years, such as Florida in 2000 and Ohio in 2004, where there was serious rampant voter fraud, 
those states took real steps to tighten up their voting procedures. Florida was unambiguously for Trump. He, he won by a much bigger margin in 2020 than he did in 2016. Uh, Ohio wasn't even close. It used to be a battleground state, a swing state. Not anymore. Not even close. Pennsylvania should have gone for Trump. It didn't. Why not? Because of these massive numbers of mail-in ballots, which there's no way, there's absolutely no way that Joe Biden won that state. Not going to happen. There's no way that somebody who barely campaigned and who had all of the media on his side and yet still couldn't string together a coherent sentence on the campaign trail won that state. Not given the policies that he's promoting, not given the way that he is regarded by the blue-collar workers of that state. It's not going to happen. Trump, on the other hand, draws in routinely like 45,000, 50,000, sometimes 200,000 people to his campaign rallies. And you're telling me that that guy lost? Really? Uh, come on. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? The statistical evidence is entirely against the theory. Uh, more and more revelations are coming to light. And you can see the media is shifting the goalposts. This is why I keep saying these people need to be held accountable. And I'm sorry to say, but the accountability is going to come uh, in very brutal and bloody ways. I mean, I'm not the only one suggesting this stuff. I'm not the only one saying, you know, restore Air Pinochet at this point. There are, you should see some of the readers on my site who are like, um, if we start, you know, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm going to start offering free one-way helicopter rides to, to these, these idiots. Um, and I'm kind of with them on this subject. I, I have just no respect for these people at all anymore. None. I'm at the point where I'm like, just tear down every single journalism school in the country. You know, empty the schools out, get everybody out of there, fire all the faculty, get rid of them, um, and then just raise the buildings to the ground and sow the, ground, sow the soil with salt so that nothing grows there ever again. You know, I, I mean... I'm talking about, I'm talking, I'm saying this as somebody who went to a supposed Ivy League school for a master's degree, and in that Ivy League school uh, is one of the world's supposedly best journalism schools. I'm, I'm saying that as somebody who walked past that school every day for nine months. I'm saying that school shouldn't be there anymore. That's the degree of evil that these people have perpetrated upon the rest of us. And the thing is, they've chosen very clearly which side to align themselves with at this point. They have chosen to align themselves against everything that is good, beautiful, and true. They have chosen to lie through their teeth and through their pens, and they are supported and helped by a very powerful set of forces. The thing is, it's not just the journalists who are doing this. Big tech is heavily involved, rampantly involved. Uh, when the New York Post came out with that story about Hunter Biden's ties to um, China and uh, about various other very unsavory dealings and real corruption associated with both Hunter and Jim Biden, uh, Joe Biden's brother, uh, the media quickly leapt to Joe, Joe Biden's defense. Twitter, Facebook, and Google all started heavily censoring the New York Post article. Anybody who posted about the New York Post article on YouTube was shut down. Their videos were scrubbed. 
they were demonetized, they were sometimes given uh, copyright strikes, or just, you know, their videos just got ghosted. Um, YouTube's uh, CEO, Susan, Susan Wojcicki, has made it very clear that if you are now uh, on YouTube as a platform saying that uh, the, the election was rigged and Joe Biden isn't really the president, then you're going to get kicked off. Your videos are going to get taken down, and you will be issued a strike for spreading misinformation. Well, I'm sorry, who the hell gave Susan Wojcicki that authority? Who the hell gave Google that authority? They don't have that right. They never did. The problem is that um, under Section 230 of the uh, Communication Decency Act, is that what it's called? CDA, I think? Um, these big tech companies have legal immunity as platforms. They pretend that they are not publishers. They are. They, they clearly choose what content they want to publish. And in fact, Facebook tried to pull this legal dodge uh, in court very recently. It was earlier this year, in fact. They basically tried to pretend we are actually a publisher and we, we can choose, we can pick and choose what content uh, we want. We have that right. We reserve that right. Um, it was to do with something about how uh, it was a separate lawsuit. They were, I, I forget the details. Uh, you know, I don't want to go look it up, but it, it's out there somewhere. Um, where Facebook basically tried to pull that stunt, and I don't know if it was successful because I haven't followed the, the details of that case, but they were really trying to play it both ways. They were trying to say in a U.S. court that they are a platform, and in a European court they are a publisher. Now, the funny thing is the Europeans, the Uzis, as much as I can't stand the European Union, um, are actually taking a much harder line on consumer protections than American courts are, which is bizarre. I mean, I... I have almost no respect for European governments, but these guys are the ones saying to Facebook, Google, Apple, Twitter, um, and others, you cannot do this anymore. You cannot get away with treating your customers like shit. You cannot do it anymore. Uh, Google has had to pay something on the order of $10 billion in fines, or 10 billion euros in fines, I think. Um, due to its rampant abuse of its position in EU markets. Uh, Facebook has had to pay fines. Apple has had to pay fines. Um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the Europeans are getting really serious about consumer protection. And uh, in, in Russia, for instance, I can tell you that Google has virtually no market share. Uh, well, okay, no, no, I'll, I'll take that back. Google has a much lower market share in Russia than they do in the West. And that's because um, the Russians really take a lot of steps to counter Google's influence. Uh, also because they face really, really serious competition from Yandex, which is a much less paused out, much less um, SJW uh, infested company. Yandex is Russian. They work crazy hard. They are, are very good at what they do. And they basically imitate Google in every field, and in some cases, they're better than Google. Uh, I use Yandex for a lot of my um, girls with guns searches for my my site, my my great Monday Dak browser crusher uh, pictures for my Friday TNA uh, headline images. I usually get those from Yandex because they have just a, a much better search engine for that sort of stuff. And if I want the uh, if I want a less biased take on the news. And, you know, I'm looking for something that is somewhat political. Uh, searching through Yandex, chances are I'm going to get a lot less slanted 
news and opinion than I would searching through Google or DuckDuckGo. And DuckDuckGo is a great search engine, but even then, if you try to look up... I was trying to um, look up something earlier, I think, uh, yesterday. It was about rodent trials. It was about uh, how uh, rodent testing... Uh, it was about the mRNA vaccine manufactured by Pfizer. And I was trying to look up... Um, whether mRNA trials had failed, at the, mRNA vaccine testing had failed at the rodent stage. If I looked it up on Google, I just got article after article praising the release of the COVID vaccine from Pfizer and saying, oh, you know, here's why you shouldn't be skeptical about it. Okay, that's bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on that one right away. If I went through DuckDuckGo, I got a lot of articles um, about much the same thing, not as many sort of blind, not, not quite as much blind worship of the COVID vaccine as, as with Google. If I went through Yandex, I got a bunch of articles in Russian, obviously, um, about the Russian Sputnik, uh, Sputnik Piat vaccine, Sp uh, Sputnik 5, but um, nothing really conclusive. It was just very hard to find the data, but Yandex is simply a much less paused out, much less SJW heavy search engine. So, you know, if you want to use a, something that hopefully doesn't track you, combine Yandex with um, a VPN, which is what I do. And if you need a VPN recommendation, um, I recommend either Goose VPN if you just want something simple and effective that works everywhere, or Surfshark, which is the best deal in the industry. I mean, you just don't get better deals than Surfshark. So there'll be in, you'll, have, you'll have links in the description box. Make sure that uh, you pick up a VPN because right now they're running at crazy discounts. You can get like four months free, I think, for Surfshark at this point uh, with a two-year contract. And um, honestly, it's worth it. Uh, I, I do think you would be quite well off with Surfshark because you know it's unlimited devices. Unlimited surfing, unlimited, you know, you name it, it's unlimited. So get yourself a copy of Surfshark. Uh, definitely, definitely worth the trouble. So at any rate, um, the point is information is being suppressed in a very coordinated effort to keep us thinking the right way. And Google makes very little secret of this. I mean, Google in particular has uh, an internal company presentation about something called the Ledger where they basically treat all of your data and all of your uh, browsing patterns and history as information about you as a person. And they basically rebuild who you are as a person. And then the Google internal presentation states very clearly that their goal is to modify your behavior to something that is in line with their values. They actually say that in the briefing. You can go look it up. It's out there on YouTube right now, or well, maybe not on YouTube, but... You can go find it on BitChute, I'm sure, if you look hard enough. And I may include a, a link to it in the description box. These people aren't even trying to hide their villainy anymore. They're evil. The, that internal presentation was leaked. They should have been a hell of a lot more careful about what they said, because now everybody knows. Google is a profoundly evil company. And I say that as somebody who uses Google products. I mean, I use Gmail um, for a lot of my stuff, but... There's a reason why I got off of Blogger. There's a reason why I migrated to my own site. And now, you know, the email account associated with that site is my own individual email account. It's something that I set up completely independent of Google. So, you know, there, there are reasons why I do this stuff. There are reasons why uh, I want to shift away from 
crazy crap like this. And eventually, I'll probably move to Proton Mail um, for my for my personal correspondence because I don't want Google to be able to access my messages. I don't want these people to be able to see who I am and what I'm doing. So you know, there's a lot of really evil stuff going on. And the question is, what is the purpose? What is the point? Why is it that we are being suppressed and pushed away and pushed down like this with the Kung flu, which is nowhere near as dangerous as we're told, with the presidential election, where President Trump should have won, and yet the worst candidate imaginable since, other than Hillary Clinton, who, I, I mean... That woman genuinely terrifies me. Um, I see her as the spawn of Satan herself. Uh, you know, in in flesh, basically. If you look at the, if you look at the election, you look at COVID, you look at uh, the economy, where the the current uh, in it theory in macroeconomics is something called modern monetary theory essentially says that you um, governments shouldn't even worry about running deficits. Like running a uh, running a constant deficit is a good thing because you can always print your way out of trouble. It's like these guys have never heard of um, hyperinflation. They've never understood the concept. They think that it's it's a uh, it's a non-issue and you don't even have to worry about it anymore. They think that everything can be managed through um, money printing. It's like you guys really don't understand basic economics. Uh, but that's th these are the people who are kind of running things right now. These are the academics who have uh, intellectual ascendancy, the same way that the, the neo-clowns, the neoconservatives did back in the early 2000s uh, during the Bush administration. Those were the guys running the show. They, they were a bunch of midwits who just had no clue what they were talking about. And the very real human disastrous consequences of their theories were paid by other people, not by them. What is going on? Why are we being pushed and suppressed like this? Again, the answer comes from Christian theology. You have to understand that Christianity is by far the most black-pilled of all the religions. By far. Uh, Islam, which is a man-made heresy and is totally unsupportable and... Uh, is, you know, ha has been destroyed this year. I mean, its very foundations have been wiped out from under it, which is both gratifying and kind of heartbreaking to see. Uh, gratifying because, you know, obviously Islam is a just an awful, awful religion uh, in many ways. There are, there are many admirable things about it up to a point, but overall it's just an awful set of uh, programming for human beings. I, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to see that side of it destroyed. But I also, it's, it's heartbreaking because you see over a billion people who just refuse to accept the truth. They refuse to accept that they are worshipping a lie. Um, Islam basically says that everything happens because Allah wills it to happen. Uh, their God is very remote. He sits up in, uh, in the seventh heaven, either on or above or turning towards his throne. Islamic uh, scholars can never agree about this. Um, he, 
he determines how everything will happen. And, you know, Islamic theology says that there are seven earths stacked on top of each other like pancakes, and all the pancakes sit on the back of a giant fish. Um, and the earths are all flat. And, uh, it would take you 500 years to travel between all the earths. And uh, there are seven heavens which are stacked like domes, you know, in concentric fashion on top of each other. And these seven domes are actually physical domes which would collapse in on the earth. Um, the sky is a physical solid object which it would, you know, collapse on the earth if, uh, if Allah didn't hold it up. And uh, miss shooting stars are missiles that uh, Allah uses to shoot down demons who are trying to sneak into heaven to listen to what he has to say. Guys, I'm not making this up. This is what Muslims actually believe. This is actually in their scriptures. I'm not making this up. This is there. It's in their texts. Um, they would tell you that all of this is happening because Allah wills it. Okay. Uh, Hindus will tell you that uh, everything happens because of this cosmic cycle uh, where everything is determined by fate. Okay. Uh, you have no control over yourself. You have you know, just almost a machine acting out an automatic program um, in an illusion of a world. And if you want to transcend that illusion, you must let go of all attachment. You must become totally detached from the world and stop caring about it. And that way you can achieve, uh, 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 what's it called? Well, you can achieve nirvana, basically. You can achieve enlightenment because you can free yourself from the moksha, the cycle of death and rebirth. Um, Buddhism says kind of the same thing in that respect. Uh, the two are very influential upon each other because Buddhism started as a heresy of Hinduism. Um, Judaism doesn't really have a lot to say on the subject other than that, yes, I mean, evil exists in this world because of man's free will and because of Satan, but it doesn't offer a solution. Not really. Particularly modern Talmudic Judaism, which is very much a religion of works and not faith. Um... You know, I'm not an expert on some of the other religions in the world, uh, but if you look at old, ancient Norse paganism, everything was deterministic. There was no free will. It was all, you know, your fate was woven into a web created by the Norns, um, and you were just a, an actor on the stage. Christianity is totally different. What it says is, we are broken and fallen and the products of sin. And our actions alienate us from God. But the victory is sure. Jesus Christ won that victory for us. So what's happening right now is an attempt to demoralize us and create as much collateral damage as possible to take as many people away, as many souls away from salvation and grace as possible before the end finally comes. And that's the key to getting through everything that's happening right now. That's what we have to remember as we sit in the eye of the storm. That's what we have to keep our, we have to use to keep our heads about us. We're going through this because of a concerted effort by a very, very dangerous power. I mean, the most dangerous power of all, the prince of this world, the immortal, psychopathic, serial killer and liar and murderer and genocidal oppressive dictator that rules over this planet it's not trump he's none of those things it's not putin he's none of those things either it's not george soros much as we would like it to believe he is he's george soros is just an instrument of the prince of this world he's just you know 
He's just the devil's envoy. The devil himself, Satan, Lucifer, the light bringer, uh, is corruption incarnate. He, his idea of things looks and sounds very beautiful, but is in fact absolutely wretched and horrible. This is the entity to blame for everything that is going on around us. But even in all of this despair, even in all of this pain and misery, there is hope. And that's what I want you to remember as we go into Christmas. Because Christmas is the very manifestation of that hope. What happened on this day, 2020 or 2024 years ago, however long it was, an infant child was born into this world by a virgin and that child conceived by the Holy Spirit came to us to save us all to defeat evil to cast down the gates of hell to be given as a sacrifice for all of us you me my parents my sister my girlfriend your relatives your loved ones he came to give his life up for us so that through his blood we could all be redeemed. That is our hope. That is our salvation. And that is what is going to get us through the coming year, the coming times of darkness. We are in the midst of a terrible storm and we are being forced to choose sides in a war that has been raging far longer than any of us has been alive. I mean, far longer than the human race has existed, almost certainly. Um, something is going on in this world that we can't really understand, and we're not really meant to understand it, but we are required to choose sides. So pick yours, because the time is coming very soon. Maybe not on a human time scale, because, you know, to, to God... Uh, one day is as long as a, a century for him, and one century is as long as a day for us. Um, that's how it, God's understanding of time is totally different from ours. Um, what we are dealing with, the pain and misery and suffering we are dealing with is real, and it's designed to drive us to despair and hopelessness. I understand that impulse. Believe me, I do. I've been driven to it myself many times. But don't forget that we were given a spirit of hope and that we have been offered a way out. So keep your eye on that way out. Don't ever forget it. We are coming up to the one day where we can say definitively, that is our hope. This day, a king was born into this world. The king, the king of kings, came into this world to lead us out to give us hope, and to give us joy, and to give us peace. That King, Jesus Christ, came to us, for you and for me, so that we wouldn't have to deal with this evil anymore, that it would have no hold over us any longer. And that, my friend, is something to conjure with. I'm going to have to wrap it up there, because we are at the one-hour mark, pretty much. Um, hope I've given you something to think about. I hope I've given you hope, as it were. And uh, I do wish you well for the coming uh, Christmas Day. I will be doing a podcast on Christmas itself. 
not on the following Sunday um, because, you know, I, I mean, it's Christmas, right? It's my single favorite day of the year. Uh, but until then, stay well, stay safe, stay healthy, uh, and good luck to you, and do not lose hope. This has been Didactic Mind, Episode 60, The Eye of the Storm, and this is Didact, signing off.